As the world scrambles to set targets for a global net zero economy, the challenges and opportunities associated with the transition are coming into sharp focus. Today, we explore how long-term climate change will affect companies and what actions they should take today to adapt to this over the coming decades, building resilience and helping to mitigate risk. To discuss this with me, we have Amar Rahman, Global Head of Climate Resilience Services at Zurich Insurance Group, and David Nash, Climate Change and Partnership Senior Manager at the Zed Zurich Foundation. Welcome to both of you. Amar, I'm going to start with you. According to the World Economic Forum's Global Risks Report 2021, in terms of likelihood last year, extreme weather was the number one risk. How will the increasing intensity of these events impact companies? So when we talk about the physical impact of climate change on companies, that would be directly to their value chains. And what we mean by that is availability of water, the availability and price of power, for example, and so on. So these are the direct impacts. The increased flooding and wind, of course, is the first thing that comes to mind when we think about climate change effects. But there's also a more subtle impact on companies, for example, on changing uh, market trends, uh, the consumer trends as well on the products that these companies are are selling, uh, not only in their regional markets, but globally as well. So the impacts of climate change are multifaceted. Turning to you now, David, what are the long-term risks posed to businesses as they endure a less extreme change in climate over the next few decades? If we look at the way in which weather patterns have been changing over the last two, three decades or so, we do see that the rainfall is more intense and lasting longer than it ever used to. Now, does that mean to say there'll be dramatic floods every uh, in, in every year, in every place? No, of course it doesn't. But what it does mean is that the weather patterns are changing in ways, forcing people to have to think about the way in which they farm, uh, whether they farm in the same way as they traditionally did or whether they need to move or change that. They need to think about the way in which they uh, transport goods and services to market. This idea that that is not extreme in some ways, I think, is, is predicated on the idea that we see very big extreme events. But even without very big extreme events, things are moving and patterns are shifting. And that means that people need to be starting to think about whether their traditional ways of life, whether the things they've been able to do over the years are able to be continued. I think in the technical literature that they refer to the acute and chronic hazards. So when we talk about chronic, this is the sea level rise, this is the temperature rise, this is the drought, and the acute, these are the hailstorms, the the flooding and so on. Now, when we talk about risks, the long-term risks, uh, I mentioned already the physical risks, but there are two other aspects that companies are starting to consider as well, two other types of risks. Those are the transition risks and the liability risks. The transition risks relate to the change in regulations that could impact companies. For example, um, the carbon taxation or the regulatory changes that are being imposed in certain sectors. And in terms of liability, what we're seeing now is not only increase of court actions against some companies who are contributing to climate change, but also to companies who are expected to uh, adapt their products and services to account for climate change. David, you mentioned farming earlier, right? What did these long-term changes to our weather systems mean for society at large? The challenge, I think, is twofold in some ways. Parts of the world will become warmer and wetter, and those parts of the world you'll still be able to grow food in. 
but increasingly around the central band of the globe, we'll get a huge amount of desertification. We won't be able to grow anything at all. So it'll push farming into different kinds of spaces. And with that, it'll push people into different kinds of places. Uh, and so there'll be a, a large uptick of human migration that will follow from the way in which the climate is changing. We're already seeing resources being stressed, particularly water resources, and people needing to move in order to find water. This climate migration is going to be the probably the biggest challenge that we'll face in the longer run. And Amar, why is there a need for businesses to adapt to a climate change in addition to trying to reverse it? There are two sides of the same coin. What we're seeing in almost every company that we're dealing with, every company has a sustainability initiative. Now, these initiatives are twofold. One is to reduce the impact of their operations on the environment, and the second is reducing the impact of the environment on their operations. Like I said, the two are interconnected. When you are implementing these changes, if you are not managing that change carefully, then that could potentially increase the risk, especially when you're dealing with multiple situations, multiple risks, as the COVID situation has clearly demonstrated. So companies need to be more flexible. They need to account their entire value chain. And, and as I mentioned before, they're not isolated from the societies that they're operating in, and they need to consider the impact of these risks collectively, holistically, on their employees and on their consumers as well. If I can just add a little bit on that, I think one of, one of the interesting things about that we've learned from our work with communities on resilience building is this notion of interconnectivity within the communities themselves, uh, the ways in which individuals, householders, businesses within the community the environment that that community sits in all impact on each other. So dealing with the COVID crisis, for example, is not isolated from dealing with the issues around the climate. And in fact, if you de dealt with the health issue in an appropriate way, it could also help you create the strength within the community to deal with health-related issues caused by climate change. So you can use these things in a, in a very systemic way to grow and grow resilience. Okay, so what are the concrete steps that companies should be taking to adapt to the long-term changes? Well, with any risk uh, management process, the first step is identify what the risk is, the second step is assess, and then the third is do something about it. Companies are starting to look beyond the traditional risks that impact their operations. And it's not only the climate, but the entire environment that companies uh, operate in. Uh, David mentioned migration, for example, just as one example. The other one is increased urbanization. You find that these are happening in societies that have been there for decades, if not hundreds of years. The infrastructure is being exceeded beyond capacity. So you could have a small rainfall, uh, very intense, but because of the overload on the existing infrastructure, that translates into a big event. And that comes around back to what companies should be doing in the societies that they're operating in. Um, they need to look beyond the boundary or confines of their production facilities because it's an, it's an integrated and holistic approach. Multinational companies are clearly an important part of the global corporate landscape. But being present across different continents implies that preparing for many and very climate-related challenges is part and parcel. So does this mean that a case-by-case -case basis of adapting to local operations is a necessity? 
Yes, it is, especially in terms of the solutions. You can't bring in a solution that works in this one society, try to implant it in a new one. You have to look at what is working in that society or in that environment and try to improve it. The work that we've been doing in Zurich's Flood Resilience Programme, so our charitable programme that the Foundation supports, has been to work with different communities. We work in 23 different countries, for example. A lot of the learning that has come from what we've been doing there is that resilience is very local. It's hyper-local in many regards, in the sense of the solution. Um, the problems may well have the same kind of root cause, but they manifest very differently. What do you think are the main challenges of adapting to climate change in the next five to 10 years? The biggest challenge is, besides the complexity, of the problem is the data. There's a lot of information out there, uh, but there's a high level of uncertainty and low level of confidence. And the, the reason there is primarily because this is evolving. It's an evolving science. The models are evolving and they're changing with increased information that we're able to get. The second and most important challenge, I think, is the human factor. Our perception of risk is based a lot on our experience. So you hear in a lot of cases, talking to people, their perception of the risk is low because they've never experienced a flood event, right? And we need to change that mindset through education. We've been doing quite a lot of work talking to cities over the last year or so. Cities are particular special kind of places. They, they behave differently than rural environments do, for example. Um, and Two of the, the big challenges that come out from that are one, the, the lack of data, which Amara talked about. Uh, the other is lack of funding. So, you know, cities may well have great resilience strategies, but what they lack is the financial clout uh, in order to do that. At a lower, kind of smaller, more micro scale uh, with that, um, companies often have the, that investment decision in their hands um, and very often need to be educated around why it is good to invest in taking action early rather than not. Early adopters uh, often take the risks, um, which often can fail. Um, and that's uh, a risk mindset that uh, smaller companies uh, are very used to dealing with. But the more you can persuade people, show people that the investment now in a brighter future offers them opportunities, the more they'll move to be able to do that and the more opportunities they'll be able to take advantage of profitably for their own organisations. So what should companies be doing and demanding of the public sector as they take steps to build resilience? So it's a partnership. Everyone needs to realise that everyone's con contributing in some way or form to the problem, but we could also contribute to the solution. Just to give an example of what we're doing at Zurich, we, we act almost as a hub, bringing academia together, working with the public sector, working with societies through our customers, and working together with all segments of society towards achieving adaptation. It really is about finding ways in which our shared interests come to the fore rather than our competing interests. I have one last question for the both of you. What's your sort of passion pitch? What really needs to be done now? You know, inaction is not an option. So what does everyone need to do? I think from my perspective, there's a lot of talk around the need for moving towards a net zero economy solution and, and trying to reduce carbon emissions and put a cap on climate change. Uh, the thing that drives me is the recognition that we've already experienced 1.1 degrees of the 1.5 degree target. That means that people right now are having to deal with the outcomes. 
And for me, we need to take action now. It's not, not a case of waiting for 2030 or 2050 or 2100 or whatever, whatever it happens to be, these long-term climate goal targets are. That's a necessary thing to be doing. But if we don't adapt now, we won't have a society that can cope with a climate-changed world anyway. The one statement I'd make is that no action is too small, right? Everything counts. We're, we're a lot of people on this planet, and whatever we do will solve the problem in one way or form. Amar, David, thank you both very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And to our listeners, you can find other episodes and related content at zurich.com forward slash climate change.